that you're uh, with us this morning uh, on the Wills Point campus, the third service. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with them Matthew chapter 5. Today we're going to wrap up a series called Upside Down, and uh, this is actually week nine of an eight-week series. Uh, you're like, what? So Jesus has eight Beatitudes that he talks about, but after the Beatitudes, he's going to uh, go into the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, Sermon on the Mount's three chapters long. It's Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the longest sermon that you'll see in all of the Bible. Uh, Jesus talks about it, and he transitions from these eight statements, these Beatitudes, to this sermon. And when he does that, he's going to say something that's uh, rather spectacular in verses 13 through 16, and we're going to look at that here in just a few moments. And so uh, before we do that, though, I want to just remind you of a couple of things um, that are going to be happening this year, uh, one of which is that today is, in fact, the last week of this series called Upside Down, and next week, we're going to start a new series called Don't Get Scrooged, uh, and we're going to be talking about just Christmas from the perspective of, uh, of our life now and how we can overcome the Christmas blues, and so uh, we're going to be looking at... Uh, really Christmas past, present, and future, and uh, next week is going to be a really great time to come and be a part of it. And you go, well, why? Well, here's, here's two reasons. One, I'm going to give you a pastor promise, and that is next week will be for everyone, but it will especially be for those who are skeptical about the Christian faith. And so a great time to bring somebody that's not, not necessarily going to go to church, and, and, and here's why, because our camps are going to be decked out in Christmas, there's going to be full of joy and hope, and then next week we're going to look at all the prophecies uh, that foretell the coming king of Jesus and why we think that's true. Uh, yesterday, we were driving in the car and my uh, middle son, Caleb, who's seven, goes, hey, dad, uh, help me understand, should everyone believe in God? And Kelly is listening to this conversation. That's my wife. And as this conversation is going down, about 30 seconds into it, it's pretty silent. And Kelly looks at me and she's like, you're going to answer this one. And I was like, okay, cool, no problem. I said, Caleb, here's the deal. Uh, tell me what a clue is. And so Caleb gives me the definition of a clue in a seven-year-old mind. It does a fantastic job. And I said this, listen, I think that as your parent, as your dad, I believe that God has given us clues all throughout the Bible, all throughout the world that, that show us that there is a God. And I think why we should believe in him. And I said, as your dad and as your mom, I said, our goal is as you grow up is we want to show you more about those clues. And so you're just going to have to trust us as we show these clues that you're going to have a chance to decide whether or not you're going to believe if there's a God or not. And, and that's what we're going to do next week. We're just going to put out the evidence, and then people get to decide whether or not they're going to believe that there's a God or not. So in a culture where we're uh, enthused about Black Friday and gifts and different things, we're going to say, hey, what does it look like if, if we have a different perspective on Christmas because of what happened in Christmas past? So starting next week, I encourage you to come. Three services here on this campus, two in the Edgewood campus. And then the next thing I want to give you a quick commercial for is Christmas Eve Eve service. It's going to be on Christmas Eve Eve. Okay, that's December 23rd. That's a Sunday. There's no Sunday morning services that weekend. We're going to do only services that evening. There's going to be three services still. It's going to start at 4, 5.30, 7 p.m. here on the Wills Point campus. Both campuses are invited here. It's going to be two campuses and one church uh, here together together. We're going to have Christmas carols. We're going to have a brief message. We're going to have candlelight, all of those different things. And then we're going to have cocoa bar, hot chocolate, 
uh, our hot chocolate cocoa bar, coffee bar, cookie bar, bounce houses. We're going to have family photos. We're going to have us. Uh, carriage rides, and then we know that there's a 100% chance of snow, and the forecast has already told us that there's going to be three times as much as there was last year. And so hope that you'll come. It's going to be a blast. That's happening Christmas Eve. What? Eve. So on Christmas Eve, we're going to actually let you off. There's no Christmas Eve service. It's all happening Christmas Eve Eve because we want you to spend Christmas Eve with your family, even those in-laws that you believe are outlaws. Okay. <laughs> Cool. So uh, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. If you're already there, we're going to dive in. Jesus says these, these different statements called to be attitudes. This is what he says in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 2. It says, and he opened his mouth, that meaning Jesus, and he taught them, them being the multitude of people that have followed him. These are followers. And he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be sons of God. And so Jesus is walking through these different statements. And what he's doing is he's basically saying, he goes, blessed are, or happy are, makarios, those that need God. And there's a point in our lives where we reduce ourselves to a beggarly state and we realize in our humanity that we don't have all the answers. What's interesting is, is that I just told you a story about my son Caleb, who's seven, and he's trying to decipher what the answers are. And even at seven, he's going, is there a God? Can he be trusted? How did all of this get here? And so one of the questions I asked him, I said, Caleb, how did all this get here? When you look up and you see the sky, how did the sky get there? And he goes, well, God put it there. And I said, well, how do you know that God put it there? And he goes, I, I don't know. And I said, because we believe that the scripture tells us that God put it there. But I said, the deal is, is as you grow older, I think there's more evidence than me just telling you that God put it there. And I said, but here's the deal. You'll only see the answers of the kingdom of God when you reduce yourself to a beggar. When you begin to realize that I don't have all the answers, that my life is broken, and I'm kind of messed up, that's when you can begin to see God. And when you meet God, it says that not only do we meet God, but we ultimately are going to become more like God. And so he says, hey, when you, when you realize you're poor in spirit, you're a sinner, and when you're broken over that, he goes, I can give you life. And when I give you life, he says, there are characteristics that follow. And what are they? He goes, you're pure in heart. You're merciful to people. You um, are a peacemaker. And then he even tells us that he goes, and because you're pure in heart, because you're a peacemaker, because you are merciful to other people, he goes, you're going to be persecuted. He says, you're going to have trouble in this world. Why? Because Jesus says, they hated me and they're going to hate you too. So this is, this is kind of a new concept for those people in that day and time. It's upside down thinking. Matter of fact, in verse 10, Jesus says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you, persecute you, and utter all kinds of things falsely about you on, their, on, on my account, meaning Jesus. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. So they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So Jesus says, listen, you're not going to be alone. They persecuted me. They persecuted the prophets. They're going to persecute you too. And they're going to revile. They're going to say mean things about you. They're going to run you out of town. And they're going to want you gone. And here's what he's doing. He says, basically, because I've changed your life, because people recognize there's a difference in you, he goes, they're going to do everything they can to stomp you out. Meaning, think about it like this. This is a what? 
a light, okay? It's a light bulb. If you were to think about that, if you want the light gone, you break the light. You, you, you suppress it. You hide it. And so what, what Jesus is about to do here is, I think, profound. Now, this scripture that I'm about to read to you is not new, but what Jesus does, I think, is very clever. Jesus basically says, hey, if, if I change you, he says people are going to see evidence of that. And if they see evidence of you being a peacemaker, as your life being changed, as you being pure in heart, as you being merciful, he goes, they're going to try to get rid of you. They're going to do everything they can to suppress you, to hide you, to keep you from being who I have created you to be. So then Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. So Jesus transitions. As he begins this sermon, he goes, hey, you're the salt of the earth. Matter of fact, look at verse 13. He goes, you're the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown and trampled out under people's feet. Then in verse 14, he goes from salt to light. He says, hey, you're the light of the world. You're a city that's set on a hill that cannot be hidden. In verse 15, he says, nor do people take a light and lamp, uh, light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand where it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good, we- uh, good works and they would give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So what Jesus does, he goes, there are two things that are important. Now look, when we talk about this, I'm just going to be honest with you. Uh, this is not probably anything new to you. You've probably heard salt and light before. But if you think about these two things, these are two things that you don't necessarily appreciate. Now, don't get me wrong. There's some of you in here that you're like, no, I really do appreciate my salt, okay? Uh, we have a guy named Cody King that's on our staff. And listen, when he's eating chips and hot sauce, he dips every chip in hot sauce and he salts every single individual chip. He loves his salt. Matter of fact, you, get, you got one of those little salt shakers, he'll go through a hole when just sitting and eating hot sauce and chips. Okay, that's love and salt. Now, most of us, we don't have that appreciation. Don't get me wrong, it's in our pantry. We use it over Thanksgiving. Most of us notice when there's no salt, we want more. But for the most part, we don't think too much about it. This here is the same way. Matter of fact, there was not anyone that flipped on the switch this morning as you're walking through your house and celebrated because the light came on. Now, one of you had a, a party, you're like, oh my gosh, the light came on. But think about it just real quickly. If you were Edison and you had the light come on, what would you have done? You would have jumped up and down, wouldn't you? Like you would have been like, I'm onto something new. See, Jesus was talking about two things that were precious in that day. Two things that when we read the scripture, we don't appreciate. So what Jesus is saying here, he goes, hey, blessed are all of these things. Blessed are the poor in spirit, the one who's a sinner. Blessed are the one who mourns of their sin. Blessed are those who see God, who meet God, who are hungering and thirst after him, who their needs are met. They become peacemakers. They become pure in heart. They become merciful. Blessed are those people. Blessed are you because you're going to be persecuted, but hey, great is your reward in heaven because one day you're going to see me face to face. And hey, that's great. But until then, you're to go and be, and then he says, salt and light. Two things that that day and time had a different appreciation than they do now. Why? Because salt was for seasoning back then, but the primary use for salt was to make sure that meat did not decay. And matter of fact, not everybody could get their hands on it. So like not everybody had salt. Like it wasn't in every pantry and every place and house. It was a value. You think about right now, like if you want salt, you go to Walmart, you go to Brookshire's, you go to one of your little places and... And you buy it, right? I mean, this is right here. Kosher salt's a little more expensive. I mean, it costs a couple bucks for the big old thing like this. But you know the cheap salt, you know, just kind of the regular salt that you throw out, just table salt. I mean, that's, that stuff's like nickels on the dollar. I mean, it's very cheap. Now, you love it 
you, you keep your house full of it, but it doesn't cost you a lot. Back in that day and time, it had value, it had worth. Villages and tribes that could get their hands on this because it was within the, the sediment of their soil, they would use it to trade. And they would trade up for this. Why? Because it was a preserving agent. If you wanted to, to save meat, you would preserve it in salt. Not only did it do flavor and things like that, but that was the main purpose of it then. And so the question is, why would Jesus say, you are the salt of the earth? Here's why. It's because in a world where there's darkness and everything seems to be decaying around us, he goes, you are to be a preserving agent. You are to be something that makes a difference. Now, what's interesting is, is I've read this passage more times than I can count. Matter of fact, I'll just be very honest with you. It's very, it was a much of a struggle to prepare for this message. And here's why. Because I've read and probably taught on this so many times that it almost seems mundane. But then I thought... There's one thing that he said that I thought was pretty profound. He goes, you are the salt. Like, what? He doesn't say you are becoming the salt. He didn't say, hey, one day you're going to be the salt. He says you are the salt. Basically, he goes, hey, if you've reduced yourself to the beggar and you need God and God has entered your life, he's made you merciful, pure in heart, and a peacemaker. You're going to be persecuted for his sake, but he goes, now you need to know that you are salt. The idea is, is that you have been justified with Christ, is what Paul would say. He goes, you have, you, you have been now made precious. You're not just some sinner saved by grace, but you are now a, a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, is what Peter would say. He goes, you are special. You are a, you are a, a divine commodity. What does he mean by that? He goes, you're precious. He goes, you have great worth and value. When you think about value in our culture, there is not anybody that's going, you know what? It would be really awesome if you'd get me some table salt for Christmas. You didn't shop for that on Black Friday, did you? you I mean, you weren't celebrating because Brookshire's ran an ad on table salt. Hey, let me get my hands on that. Why? Because you don't think of it as value, but in that day and time, it was valuable. It almost brings to mind the idea that you have when you're bought with a prize, you're not your own. That's the idea. Jesus says, you are salt. You are precious. You are valued. Why? Because salt has flavor. It's precious. It has value. And it's a preserving agent. And then he says something. He goes, matter of fact, if saltiness lost its taste, then how is it going to be restored? Like, how do you restore salt if it's no good? You don't. You know what you do? You throw it out, don't you? You go get you some more salt. I mean, there's not a system or a mechanism or some sort of device to, to go and make salt salty again. I and mean, when salt is done and it's not useful anymore, it's, it's, you're out of trouble, right? I mean, it's, it's done. He goes, that's the same way that he views those who know him. He goes, you're either salt or you're not. You, you don't get to claim that, hey, I'm becoming salt, but I'm struggling to keep my flavor. And I think that's where we wrestle in this day and time. We think, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. That means that I prayed a prayer. God came into my life. And one of these days, I'm gonna get my stuff together. And don't, don't get me wrong, it's not gonna be 2018, but in 2019, I promise I'm gonna get my stuff together. I'm gonna get me a new Bible. I'm gonna get me a reading plan. And I'm gonna figure this thing out. And that's not what he says. He goes, you're not becoming this. This is not something you're going to grow into. He goes, you are justified in Christ. You are no longer unsalty, but now you have been made a preserving agent. You are to be peace in the midst of chaos. You are to be hope in the midst of turmoil. You are to be flavor where there is no flavor, and you are to preserve things that are decaying around you. 
He goes, you are salt. You are good for something. You should not be simply trampled under somebody's feet. Why? Because you have value. And then he moves on and he talks about this other thing called light. He goes, so you're salt. And then he says, and you are light. And look what he says when he says you are light. He says, you're the light of the world, a city that's set on a hill and it cannot be hidden. So think about that just for just a second. You are the light of the world. What does that mean? Okay, light means that you're not dark. That, that seemed like a really sharp comment, right? If you are light, it means that you're not dark. And so darkness is always penetrated by light. Light always wins. And so Jesus says, you are salt of the earth, and now you are the light of the world. Then he says, you're like a city that's set up on a hill. Now, the reason that Jesus says that is because when you think about darkness, particularly in the scriptures, you don't think about God's glory. You think about evil in the world and corruption. And the reason that we don't like darkness is because darkness isn't real popular. For instance, Christmas is right around the corner. And one of the cool things about Christmas for me is Christmas lights. Matter of fact, we load up our kids at Christmas time and we go to Sandland, we go to neighborhoods in Highland Park because they roll a different way than we do, no offense. But you know what I'm talking about? And never once have I said, hey kids, load up. Let's go and see all the dark neighborhoods. Try that this year. There will be a dad fail. You know what I'm talking about? Why? Because darkness isn't cool. There's nothing cool about darkness. Matter of fact, darkness makes us afraid. Darkness is not something that we shoot for. We want light. Hey, kids, load up and let's all go see the cool lights. Why? Because light brings hope. It brings a symbol of God's glory. Matter of fact, when you think about light and the light shone among them brightly, you think about glory. You think about shepherds who were afraid and they saw the glory of God. The radiant nature, even from the angelic being, that would radiant the glory of God. And when you think about that, you think about goodness. And so you see this, Jesus goes, and you're to be a light that's sitting on top of a hill. And the question is why? why? Why light? Why? Because light is not only glory, but it's good. And glory penetrates the darkness. And evil is the thing that we're fighting against. Y'all know that, right? Matter of fact, John says it to this guy named Nicodemus. If you remember Nicodemus, they have this whole encounter in John chapter 3 about being born again. Nicodemus, one of the scholars in Israel, goes, I don't understand how I'm supposed to be born again. I go back to my mother's womb. And if you can imagine what Jesus thinks, he's like, oh, never mind, never mind. Uh, but then he gets to this famous scripture in John chapter 3, verse 16. He got, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. The goal is, is Jesus talking about this. And then he gets to verse 20. And, and this is what Jesus says. He goes, for everyone who does wicked things hates the light. And he does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So what, what Jesus is saying, he goes, when people see light in you, they see good works. They, they see something different about you. They see something in the world that seems right. Now, in a day and age where we oftentimes say things like, man, I can't watch the news. It's so negative and there's so much corruption and I just can't see all of that what bad stuff. We need to know that even in, in a day where, where things are rough and, and truth is difficult, there is someone that has to be the light of the world. There's got to be someone who's true. There's got to be someone who's noble. There's got to be something that's right in the world. And the question is, what is it going to be? Well, well Paul is, is struggling with the same thing. And in, in the church of Ephesus, he talks to them in Ephesians chapter 5. And this is what he says about light and darkness and about who we are supposed to be as believers in Christ. In verse 8, he says, For at one time you were in darkness. That's all of us who have now trusted in Christ. 
And he says, but now you are the light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. And look what it says in parentheses here, which is in the scriptures. It says, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. So what's the point of light? The light exposes all that is good and right and true. All that is good and light and true in the world ultimately comes from God through his people to other people. So in a world of darkness, you know what's so easy for you and me to do? In a world of darkness, here's what's easy to happen. Y'all paying attention, lean in with me for just a sec. I think it's easy to gather around people that we identify with. I think in a day and age where there's a lot of darkness and corruption in the world, it's easy to gather and go, hey, let's go to church. Hey, let's get around our peeps. And I don't know about you, but it's easy to get comfortable with people who are like-minded like me. People who believe the same things that I believe, who have the same conversations I do politically, who understand what I believe to understand. Isn't that what's comfortable? But what's interesting is Jesus doesn't say, hey, you are becoming salt, and by the way, go and be light among light. Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus says, hey, you are the salt of the earth. Be salty. Be a preserving agent in a world that's decaying. And then he says, and go and be the light, like a city on a hill. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not, a, I'm not real smart. But if you're going to hide a city, don't put it on a hill. Understand? Like, let's put it in the valley. Let's put it among the trees. Let's do something, but don't put a city on a hill. So what is Jesus saying? He goes, look, if you want a city to be seen, stick it up on the highest hill. Because it doesn't matter for how many miles it is away. It doesn't matter even the darkest night. Even in the foggiest day, you see the city up on a hill. You see it. It's a fortified city. And it is, what, saying, not in an arrogant type of way, but certainly saying, hey, look, we want to be seen. We want you to recognize. And it's a city on the hill. There's no blackouts. It's, it's, there it is. Look at it. And as you look at this city on the hill, the question you have to ask yourself is, what does that even mean? And Jesus goes, let your light shine. So I think for me, practically, is how do we struggle to let our light shine? And can I tell you, maybe what I, maybe what I face is a little different than you, okay? Um, and, and what I mean by that is, is this, is that as a pastor, it's really easy for me to lose sight of what's happening in the world. I don't watch a whole lot of TV. I certainly don't turn on the news. And the reason why is because I have very similar thoughts as to many of you. Why do I want to watch 30 minutes of negative news? Why do I want... But here's the deal. Here, here's where the Lord's kind of convicting me. It's because the negative news is what's happening in a decaying world. And how do I be light in a world that's decaying if I am unaware of the challenges that are around me? Now, my job is not to go fix all the challenges because I'm powerless to do that. I'm not God. But what I can do is be a glimmer of hope in sadness. What I can do is I can run towards the darkness. I can be light. But I think what happens is, at least for me, and I think probably for you too, is that the longer that we know God and we know his peace in our own lives, the more that we're drawn to people who know the same peace. Why? Because it makes us more comfortable in our faith. And at the end of the day, don't we like to be comfortable? I mean, I don't like a whole lot of new stuff. I mean, newness kind of wears me out a little bit. Why? Because I like to kind of get in the groove. We like routines. We like things to kind of go the way we like them to go. 
But with Jesus saying, no, I want you to be a city on the hill. I I want you to let your light shine where everybody sees it. Forget routine. Forget being comfortable. Be who I've called you to be, a fortified city that can be seen throughout the world, even though the world is dark. So you go, well, what do you mean? Well, here's the deal. What God is challenging me to do is to realize that there's a world around me outside of being a pastor. Like, honestly, think about it for just a second. As we protect our families, one of the things we want to do is we want to raise kids to know and understand the Lord. But if we're not careful, we're protecting them to the point they never understand what the world is, what's happening around them. Now, why this has become so Uh, fresh for me is because Kelly and I recently sold a house and we're in the process of building another one. And listen, when you're building a house, there's a a person that you come in contact with and they're called construction workers. Now, construction workers probably have a similar connotation to that as a used car salesman, which typically can be negative, okay? Um, and, And what I mean by that is when you think about a construction worker, you think about somebody that's tough, that's rugged, that says what's on their mind. Typically, language is always flying. Um, You you don't ever know if they're going to show up. You don't know if they're going to do what they say they're going to do. I mean, it's kind of what construction's known for. You got me? Yes? And so as we're dealing with that, that's become very apparent. And here's the deal. As as it's become apparent, I want you to realize that it's not just one-sided. In every relationship, there's two sides, right? And so as I'm dealing with people, what do I want? I want a fair price. I want reasonable timeline. I want expectations to be met. And the challenge is I want to do all that without slipping in to an environment that is not wholesome and pure and done honor the Lord. And so let me tell you real quickly, that can be challenging when you're building a house. And here's why. Because it's not all that uncommon for somebody to say, I'll be there Monday, and then it's Friday, and you look up, and you're like, I don't understand where you've been. That can be frustrating, right? Listen, I don't know what it'd do to y'all, but I know what it does to a pastor. It makes him what? Angry. You know what makes me more angry? Here's what makes me more angry, is when you agree to a price, And then they do show up on time, but when they get there, they go, hey, by the way, we agreed a few weeks ago on this price, but as I've looked around the job, there's a few things I didn't consider, and uh, it's going to be $2,000 more than what we agreed on. Hold on, do what? And you're like, you you almost call time out and go, hey, listen, I don't know if you're a man of prayer, but I need to pray and I'll be right back because we're going to have to talk about this. And listen, the thing is, you're like, Lord, how do I fire this guy graciously? Because he's getting fired. We're not moving on in this relationship. Do you see the context of that? It's darkness and lie. And you know what they're watching for? They're watching how I handle things. They're watching my language. They're watching the way that I spend my money. They're watching what's important to me in my house and what's, what's the most important thing to my wife. They're paying attention to all this. And you know who I'm dealing with? I'm dealing with a bunch of guys who at seven years old couldn't figure out when they were talking to their parents if there was a God or not. And they've decided that the world is dark and and they've decided that God is not necessarily always worth their time and they've developed harsh uh, languages and they've developed different routines and and they're, they're working for a guy who claims to be the pastor of his church and they're watching me. 
And you go, man, that seems like a lot of pressure. No, it's not a lot of pressure because it's not any more than what you're dealing with in your workplace and in the world. They're watching you. They watch when you're coaching your kid's soccer team. They watch how you respond. They watch how you deal with teachers and grades and different things that are important to you. They watch business practices. Whether you're a construction worker or not, one of the things I think we all struggle with is to say that we'll do something and then we don't do it. We overpromise, we underdeliver. People are watching how we do that. They listen to your every word. Do y'all realize the importance of being salt and light? Uh, a scripture that seems so mundane. Jesus goes, No, 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 no. I want you to understand something here. They're going to persecute you, they're going to try to kill you. And the way you handle the odds, the adversity, is going to rightly help them to discover the word of truth. It's why like a guy like George Roper, who I told you about last week, he leaps to his death, even though he's burned at the stake, he's faithful to the very end. You know, if, if it was me, I'm not sure that I'm faithful at the end. If it's me, I'm not sure what I'm doing. Am I running for my life? Am I, am I trembling? Am I in fear? Am I... Am I blaspheming God in that moment? What am I doing? Have you ever thought about that? You are light. You are salt. You're the preserving agent of the world. What we're doing is, is not just this casual thing, but I think we've made it that in the States. I think in some ways we've thought, you know what? I think the goal is for us just to gather together for a little while. And let's go sing a few songs, Kumbaya. Let's hear a guy kind of chew us out a little bit. And then, hey, let's go have a good week. We'll do it all again next week. But Jesus never said for us to gather as light. That's not the goal. The goal is not to come and, hey, let's gather a little while on a Sunday. Let's pat each other on the back and then say, oh, hey, now let's go do this again. That's not the goal. You know what the goal is? The goal is, is that we would spur each other on to go be salt and light in a world that desperately needs it. Matter of fact, that's why Jesus goes on a little bit further. He goes, hey, you're not just supposed to be a city on a hill. He goes, you are to what? Be a light, that's like a lamp. He goes, it would be foolish to put a, a lamp under a basket, but now you put it on a stand like this table. And he goes, and you, you let it shine all throughout the house. I mean, wouldn't it be foolish to have a, a light bulb like this in your house and, and, and then you, you, you throw something over the top of it? Now see, here's the deal. You go, I got lights everywhere in my house. And here's why, because we don't understand the precious commodity this is. But in that day and time, they would have to grab their oil, they have to light it, and they would have one or two to go out the house. I and mean, could you imagine the pain that it was to light this every time it was dark? I mean, it just became routine. But could you imagine how this right here would have changed everything for them? You, you light it for everybody to see. That's the goal. See, persecution does that. You know that? When you're persecuting your faith, it, it ultimately brings the cream to the top. The fire refines. And you get to see, hey, who's in it for the right reason and who's not? And I'll tell you, one of the struggles I think we have within the Christian church, by and large, not just here, but throughout the states, it's really... It's really uh, a struggle to determine who, who's in it for the right reason and who's not. I think some of us are in it because, hey, we just do what we know we're to do. We're supposed to go to church. For others of us in here, we're in it because of duplicity's sake. We want to gain something from it. For others of us in here, we're like, no, we're sincerely trying to walk it out. Help us to live it out. But the reason that we need each other 
And the reason that we need community, the reason that we can't just gather here and be light for a few moments is because we are to encourage one another so that we can be sent out to be light. We gather for the purposes of studying God's word, to giving to each other as we have need. Let me just put you in the context, and I'm going to wrap this up with this. I'm going to put you in the context of Jerusalem real quick. Jerusalem was not a large city. Uh, We all dream of going to the Holy Lands, and we think about all the region that there is. But listen, by and large, Jerusalem is not large. And what I want you to realize is that everybody would go into town, and they would buy and sell and trade, and they would barter with one another. And that's how they would make a living. Uh, they, would, they would do different things. And you had Rome there, and they're in the city, and you've got soldiers there. And, and what happens is, is as a Jewish person would become a believer in Christ as a part of the way, they would, in a sense, be red-tacked. They would, in a sense, be said, they would go, you know what, that's one of them. And they would still come into the city as they always have, but the, the more times they came into the city, and they were seen, the more times that people would realize who they were and what they did, and the more they showed who their lives were, salt and light among the world that was decaying around them, the more persecution they would face. And as they faced persecution, guess what? They couldn't get salt for their tables, and they couldn't get oil for their lamps. And they couldn't hide. You knew who the early Christian church followers were. You knew who they were. And yeah, they might gather in secret places for, the, for, a few, for a little while, but they were in the marketplace. And they mingled with people that were in the marketplace. And the way they mingled and the way they did things were important because people were watching. But I'll tell you, as people watched on, they couldn't get their hands on this. The question is, is where did they get it from? How did people survive in a day and age where they followed and trusted Christ? They weren't getting it from the world. People could have all the salt they were. They weren't selling it to those people. They were taxed higher. They were oppressed. So you know where they got it from? Each other. What they would have to do is they would have to give to each other as they had need. They would pray together. They would study the scriptures together. And they would live together. And you know what they did? They said, hey, listen, we can press on for another day. We can press on. Why? Because Christ is sufficient. Great is our reward if we'll press on. Yes, we're to be a city on a hill. Do you know what would have been easier for the early Christian church to do? Is to run and hide. It would have been so much easier for just to make them, their faith personal between them and God. And in the city, just to be like everyone else. But Christ goes, no, 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 you can't do that. If you're going to be salt and light, and I died for salt and light, then he goes, you need to go and be, even if it costs you. You are a fortified city on a hill, which means you are prone to attack. It means that you are an easy target. It means that you will be preserved to the very end of the day because you trust in me. But at the end of the day, the reason you let your light shine is so that others can see. That's how he closes it. Look what he says. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. So why do we press on? Why do we not keep our faith merely personal? Why do we gather together? Why do we have close relationships only to be sent out into the world that desperately needs Jesus so that others may see? So the question is, if people look at you, who are they seeing? I mean, do they see Christ in you? Do they see the glory and the hope of Christ? Because here's what light does. Light brings clarity when there's confusion and chaos. 
Y'all realize that? Light is peace and hope in the darkness. Light is what we want to take our kids to see. We don't want darkness. Darkness brings fear. It brings sorrow. That's why your kids will say, hey, Dad, will you come and lay with me? You're like, what, boy? What do you need? Dad, I'm scared. What are you scared of? I don't know. But I'm scared. What is there to fear in a world of darkness? Nothing if you're light and salt. Why? Because with a glimmer of light, the darkness goes to the distance. Matter of fact, think about this real quickly. Ladies, you ever tried to put makeup on in the dark? Uh, how's that mirror work out in the dark? It doesn't. Just a glimmer of light gives a reflection. And what Jesus is saying here, he goes, listen, if you're my disciples, people will know it by the way you love others. And if you're my disciples, he goes, you've... You have remembered that you were once a beggar. You've met Jesus. You've been changed. Now go be peace. Go be salt. Go be mercy. Go be hope. Go be light. And as you are the light in the darkness, may other people see your good deeds. May they see your works and may they glorify God in heaven. And may people know that God exists because of your good works, the way you live your life. I don't know about you, but I got some things to ramp up in my life. And I pray that you'll join me in that. Because here's the deal. I'm comfortable. And the last time I, che- I checked, God's goal is not for me to be comfortable. It's really not for me to even be happy. The goal is for me to be holy. And the way I'm holy is I get around some people in darkness and I'll let others see. You know, the struggle with that though is, is that some of us in here are foolish. And when I say foolish, here's what I mean. Uh, we think that to be good Christians, we just gather all the light together. No, 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 that's not what he said. Go. The reason I had a conversation, and you couldn't believe it, because there were a couple of Christians at one of our local venues. Oh, no. Can you believe that they gather there? Can you believe that they're there with those people? What do you mean? I saw a few people from Stone Point there. And? We're to live in the world, but not to be of the world. How do you be light and darkness if you keep all the light to itself? Go and be light. Now you have to be wise. And obviously there are things that you should consider. But at the end of the day, the goal is not to gather together and protect one another in light. The goal is to encourage one another to go and be light and salt. You can't preserve anything and you can't shine light in a place if it's not dark. Darkness needs the light. And I pray that we'll be a church that sends salt and sends light all over the, the planet. Amen? And I pray it'll start in Wills Point and in Edgewood, Texas, and it'll move through Van Zant County and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Let me pray for us. God, we love you. And uh, Father, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to realize that salt um, is a preserving agent. It prevents decay and corruption from getting worse. And so, Lord, I pray that we'd look around our city, look around our community, around our schools, around our families, around our neighborhoods, and we would see some areas that we could step in and that we could be a preserving agent. Father, I pray that in a community that oftentimes uh, can look dark, and bleak, I pray that we would be 
a gift of, of light and of guidance um, that we would help people who are lost find their way home, that we would shine light in dark places. I pray that we would be a city of hope, that we would be a light that shines, not preventing it from shining by covering it up in the living room, but Lord, that we would let it shine so that everybody can see. I thank you, Lord, that the greatest light is you and your son, the one who is the embodiment of light. There has never been anything dark in him. Lord, help us to be more like him. Help us to, to grow and become more like you. Live in your truth. Live in your hope. Live in your peace with your clarity and as reflection of you in a world that desperately needs you. In Jesus' name, amen.